morning. All right, so today we have the, the benefit, the privilege of having Scott Cobble preach for us. Uh, Scott and his wife Nancy and Seth have been worshiping uh, here at Harbor since June. Um, I'm just going to give you a quick introduction to who he is because in a second you'll be like, that doesn't look like Omar. Uh, so Scott has been in the Navy for 20 years. Uh, he's a Navy chaplain currently. He, he I think we told you a couple weeks ago, uh, uh, he was promoted to captain. Uh, in the Navy, which is a really big deal. Uh, and so, uh, again, just thankful for him and for his ministry uh, as a part of our denomination in, uh, in the Navy. Uh, Scott's current responsibilities are to oversee all of the chaplains that are on surface ships, which I think, if I remember correctly, is every ship except an aircraft carrier. Uh, so um, he's going to come up in a few minutes after Gabe comes up and does the scripture reading. Uh, but I'm going to pray for him. Uh, I'm sure he'll pray for preaching, but I'm going to pray for him. So please join me as we pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for Scott and for all the other uh, chaplains that serve uh, not just our Navy, but our other armed forces. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the ministry that they have to to Marines, uh, to soldiers, to sailors, uh, to airmen, and uh, the, the profound impact that that has. And we thank you that this morning that we get to benefit from uh, that ministry uh, as he brings uh, a sermon to us. Uh, Please bless him and allow his words to be your words and attune our ears to be able to hear what you have to say to us through him this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Gabe. This is Romans 8, 31 through 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. All right, Scott Cobble. Good morning. Well, with an introduction like that, you probably think I need to start with a sea story. So uh, I don't want you to feel to leave here today feeling you, you didn't get your money's worth. Uh, you hear a, you get a, a squid chaplain to preach for you and then you didn't even tell a sea story. Are we close enough? Can you hear me back there? Some? Better? Mike? Thumbs up? Good? Okay. All right. So there I was on the deck of the USS Ashland, flat on my back. Uh, I'm not, I'm not very good at those kind of things. I could tell you some sea stories uh, if, we, if we engage later, but... Um, what I, do want to, what I do want to talk about is a theme that's uh, dear to my heart. 
uh, stories of conquest, uh, war stories, which have shaped world history. I think I do better tell, as someone asked Abraham Lincoln one time, uh, all these crazy stories that you tell, where do, they, where do they come from? And he goes, oh, uh, they're all retail, someone else's stories that I just tell and adopt for myself. And I feel the same way. I'm better telling other people's stories. So I want to talk to you this morning about war stories. You know, Greek mythology gave us Nike. Uh, no, not the first goddess of tennis shoes, but the, really the goddess of war. Uh, Homer gave us the Iliad and the Odyssey. These were war stories that modern warriors still read and gain from. Uh, my area of interest, however, has been America's war stories. I've always been interested in the American Revolution and Civil War, and especially the Second World War. Having lived in Pearl Harbor for the past nearly three years, I uh, lived on the same, in the same neighborhood where both uh, Admiral Nimitz and Admiral Spruance once lived. I grew interested in these guys, these, uh, these famous admirals who designed, planned, executed uh, the battles of Midway, Tarawa, Iwo Jima, and Okinawa. These were all designed by, two, by sailors, two admirals. And I think the American people seem to be fascinated with our war stories, too, as seen by the interest in books and movies, such as Saving Private Ryan, uh, Band of Brothers, Midway, Greyhound. Anybody see that? I'm still angry about that. It only came out on Apple TV, and I don't have a subscription, but it's apparently a great story about, uh, that Tom Hanks tells. Uh, and, of course, the, the most famous of all war stories, not really, Top Gun. Yeah. So as, as historically significant as these battle stories are, uh, these war stories, could it be that our interest in them is, is more than just, is it more than just surface deep? Maybe it's deeper. Maybe our interest is actually deeper. Could it be that war stories reflect a dominant biblical storyline? I think so. In fact, the greatest story, the greatest war story is about the only true warrior. If the Bible, one, is about God and two, portrays life as it really is, which is life seen by God, perhaps our interest in warriors is there because God himself is a warrior and he put them there for us. Pastor Omar has been dis discussing the drama of redemption over the past couple of weeks, which, as we're aware, is comprised of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. So where does this God as warrior fit in? Well, I think in this way, you know, first, we, we, we've all read Genesis to a certain degree. God created a good world that quickly rebelled against him. That's the creation and fall part. That takes us up to Genesis chapter 11. But then secondly, God set out to redeem his people from the effects of the rebellion. That's the redemption part. And that's Genesis 12, really, to the end of the Bible. That's the redemption story. And this is where God as warrior is most clearly seen. Take note, if, if the Bible's about God, listen to this. God, through, Mo, through Abraham overcame Sodom and Gomorrah. God, through Moses, overcomes Egypt. God, through Joshua, overcomes Jericho and Canaan. God, through the judges, overcomes the Canaanites, 
which was still inside the land, and then the many oppressors that were outside the land. God, through David, overcame Goliath and the Philistines, and then the Amalekites, the Gibeonites, the Moabites, and a lot of other folks. But let's not stop there, because then we get to the New Testament. Jesus is portrayed as the conquering warrior throughout the Gospels. I really enjoy Old Testament scholar Tremper Longman, who has helped me to see this theme better than perhaps anyone else. But listen to this. Like a warrior, Jesus is anointed for the new exodus by being baptized, by, by having the Spirit descend on him, and by having the Father's voice speak from heaven. Like a warrior, Jesus is tested in the wilderness. Jesus then battles with demonic forces. And then he puts together 12 warriors. They represent the 12 tribes of Israel, but also 12 military divisions. Do you ever think of that? I've never thought about that real clearly. But Jesus puts together, he, 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 had, he brings in 12 disciples that represent not just Israel, but perhaps 12 military divisions that would take over the world. Jesus then binds the strong man, conquers the sea, and subdues a legion of demons. And of course, like every leader, Jesus has to deal with internal conflict with his group. And then we see Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, covered with a cloud, just like Moses had been on Mount Sinai. You notice throughout all the Gospels, Jesus, I think specifically Luke, Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem, where he would give his life for his people and be triumphantly raised from death. And then at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, we read this, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Longman writes this, In a scene suggesting the enthronement, enthronement of the victorious Christ, exalted to the position of universal sovereign, the heralds are sent forth to proclaim his kingdom, and the security of his enthronement is assured to the end of the age. So what does this have to do with Romans 8? Well, this week, I really wanted to test this theme, this theme of God as warrior. So I read through the first eight chapters of, of Paul's letter to the Romans. Hang on, I'm not going to read them here again. But by doing this, I noticed some of the same warrior language that, mentioned, uh, that, was mentioned, that I mentioned earlier are mentioned in Romans. Now listen to this. I'm just going to skim over these chapters so you get a, a feel for some of the warrior language that I think is there. Chapter 1 power of God. No warrior goes into battle without power, right? Wrath of God. God gave them up. Chapter 2, the judgment of God. Storing up wrath. Wrath and fury. God showing no partiality. Chapter 3, judging the world. Condemnation. All guilty. Propitiation. And then boasting. Remember David and Goliath? I will feed you to the your flesh to the sheep or the people, whatever. David and Goliath, boasting. It's a popular thing with warriors. Chapter 4 is all about Abraham. Chapter 5, peace with God, reconciliation. From, Abraham, from Adam to Moses, 
death reigned, but after with Christ, life reigned. Chapter 6, united with Christ in death and life. Let not sin reign. Make your, in, make your body an instrument of righteousness, dominion. Formerly we're, we were slaves to sin, now we're slaves to righteousness, and we're slaves to God. All themes that come from the battlefield. And then a topic that's important to every warrior, wages. We're all interested in money in the battle. A little joke there. That's not entirely true. Um, but it's in the news these days. Chapter 7, we're released from the law, died to the law. There's a struggle between the law and the flesh. When I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Waging war, and then the question that chapter 8 answers, who will deliver me? And then chapter 8 begins, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We could go on to add one final passage from Paul's uh, letter to the Colossians, but I'll leave that to you in chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2, where he triumphed over the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. So much for the meek and mild Jesus that perhaps we were taught early on. Jesus truly is a warrior. So based on what I've read so far, Jesus is the greatest warrior. He has planned, fought, and won a battle for us. He did this on the cross, and as a result, now we have peace with God and are more than conquerors. So the passage that was just read for you from Romans chapter 8 begins this way. So what shall we say to all these things? I think Paul gives us five different arguments to contemplate. In light of Jesus being the warrior that is conquered, five arguments. The first one is this, the big God argument. The big God argument. If God is for us, who can be against us? Oh, a couple of weeks ago, we went out to Shadow Mountain and heard a sermon preached. Um, a man, not David Jeremiah, but a visiting pastor, shared a story that I, I found interesting. I shared it with my friend Fred Johnson. And it was about a famous pastor in Philadelphia that went uh, back to his seminary at Princeton to preach. Uh, the pastor's name was Donald Gray Barnhouse, kind of a famous expositor from the uh, mid-1900s. He went to Princeton. He preached a great sermon. His Old Testament professor came up to him and said, I'll not hear you preach again. So deflated, he, he kind of, you know, withers down and says, Ah, uh, could you help me? What did I say wrong? Uh, where did, what do you think? What's the problem? And he goes, no, 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 all good, all good. He said, uh, I like to hear my students preach at least one sermon. It lets me to decide if they believe in a big God or a small God. He said, you're a big Godder. You preach a big God. He says, I don't, need to le- I don't have to hear you preach again because you believe in the God of the Bible. The big God argument. If God is for us, who can be against us? Doesn't it sound a bit like Joshua and Caleb's response to the other ten spies uh, in Numbers chapter 14, I believe? You know, they went into the land of Canaan. 
kind of spied, snuck in through the back door. They noticed that the people were big, the fruit was big, everything was big there. They felt like grasshoppers, so they came back and told Moses, uh, we can't take these guys, uh, they're too big. Um, but Joshua and Caleb said, no, 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 the Lord is with us, don't fear them. It sounds a bit like uh, Elisha in 2 Kings chapter 6 when his servant scared out of his wits because they were surrounded by the Syrian army. Elisha tells him, don't be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And his servant saw that really there truly were more with God's people than there were with the Syrians. The big God argument. When trouble hits home for you, how big is your God? Do you believe in the big God of the Bible? Or are you overwhelmed by the day-to-day things that really can frighten us? Secondly, second argument that Paul wants us to see and contemplate is a historical application argument. Historical application argument. Paul then takes us to look in the rearview mirror and consider what God has done in the past. He writes, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not with him graciously give us all things? Sound familiar? I think to Paul's Jewish audience, they would have said, Son, spared. That sounds a lot like Abraham and Isaac from Genesis 22. Hey, God had a way. God made a way then. God figured out how to spare Isaac. And then the promise that Abraham made to Isaac was that God, uh, God himself would provide a sacrifice. And true, to- truly, that looks forward to Christ Jesus. So in thinking both historically and theologically, God's character is the same, I believe, backwards and forwards. If God was faithful in the past, will he not be faithful also in the future? I went to school in Chicago, as did Fred, and of course Nancy and I were there. This is some years ago, but uh, we went to the Moody Moody Bible Institute, and then um, frequently we'd go down to Moody Church, and right behind the pulpit, there's a passage. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. God's character is the same backwards and forwards. His faithfulness in the past indicates faithfulness in the future. So we've looked at the big God argument and the historical application argument. What about the third one? The third one, I believe, is the legal application. Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Really, I can think of a couple implications here. One is this. Okay, who prosecutes the judge of all the earth? It's a rhetorical question, right? No one. No one prosecutes the judge of all the earth. The second is this. The judge has already pronounced guilty someone for my crime. And that someone is Jesus. So the legal application. Who can bring any charge against God's elect? Nobody. Fourthly, 
is the separation or the strongman argument. It goes something like this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation or distress? Persecution or famine or nakedness? Danger or sword? Doesn't this sound familiar to you? This sounds a lot like the Apostle Paul and all the things that he went through. He had been ministering for probably close to 30 years when he wrote this. He had been through the ringer. He had seen it all. He, uh, there's several places in, um, in his letters where he mentions all the stuff he's been through. I think the end of 2 uh, Corinth, uh, Corinthians mentions, mentions another list of things that Paul had gone through. But Paul had seen it all. He endured so much for the sake of the gospel throughout his life. And he could say with experience that God is with us in the hard times as well as in the good times. The fifth argument, I believe the grand finale. The grand finale is this. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You know, Paul uses a kind of a unique word here. He uses, he uses the word nakao frequently, um, which means I overcome or I conquer. We just... Re- we just watched the big fat Greek wedding the other night. And it, anybody ever watch that? It's a generation old now. You have to be at least my age to appreciate it. But, you know, the groom's couple comes to the family and got all these folks and they say, hey, this is my brother Nicky and his sister Niccolo. And everybody's named Nicky. It comes from here. It comes from this. Conqueror. They all wanted to be connected with the victor, the conqueror, conqueror. But Paul uses more than just the word nikao here. Here he uses the word hooper nikao, more than a conqueror. F.F. F. Bruce translates this this way. He says, despite what we just looked at, despite all these things, we are super conquerors. We are super conquerors. We, we really hear this from the voice of Jesus in John chapter 16. Jesus said to this, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you're going to have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. We read this twice or heard this over uh, the past several months as, as Omar went through First uh, John. But First John Chapter 4 says this, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And just in the next chapter, John, 1 John 5, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And one final passage, The sting of death, this is from 1 Corinthians 15, The sting of death is sin, And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the nikao, or nike, the Nike, the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Based on scripture, Jesus is the greatest warrior. He has planned, fought, and won a battle for us. He did this on the cross. And as a result, we now have peace with God And we ourselves are more than conquerors. 
So the trouble is, the music and the message of the culture is so loud and dominant, we probably forget this message of triumph. What should we do? What should we do? You know, in those times, we've got to listen to the voice of the true warrior, Jesus. And I think the first thing we should do when we get caught up, when we lose the message of triumph, we need to do this first. Critically assess the message you're, you're listening to. Critically assess the message that you're listening to. A friend of mine from 15 years ago, we'd just moved to Quantico, Virginia. I'd never been around Marines, but there I was ministering to Marines, and there was a lot of Marines in the community. But a, a great man named Chris Brady, uh, retired I shouldn't talk about my good friends. I get choked up. A career infantry officer who had retired some years prior and who was now ministering to Marine Corps officers. I, uh, I, once made, I once casually made the comment to him, and I was busy. I was a lieutenant, I was doing all kind of stuff, working, had big, you know, four kids, taking classes out in the field, doing stuff, kids are busy at home. And I told Chris one time, I said, I just need, I need more balance in my life. I just need to be more balanced. And he said, balance? Where did that term enter your vocabulary? He said, life isn't about balance. Life's war. It's a battle. Sometimes we have to go back into our, the things that we think are normal and kind of strike them out of what's normal. He was telling me, this whole notion of balance, is that even Christian? Uh, it, Really, if you look it up, it's, it probably comes from an Eastern religion somewhere, this notion of balance, probably yin and yang or something like that. Uh, he was telling me that really, let's, let's think biblically about issues. It's about war. That's kind of what you expect coming from a Marine too, right? Carl Truman says the same thing, though, in his, uh, his book from last year, Strange New World. He says, the world says, in short, uh, the modern self is one where authenticity is achieved by acting outwardly in accordance with one's own inward feelings. Our culture's message is feelings trump everything else. Pay no attention to anything else. Biology, right, uh, truth, none of that counts. It, it's really subjective. The only thing that counts is your own authenticity that they're connected to your true inward feelings. However, Scripture tells us that Jesus trumps everything else. Truth trumps everything else. So let's be careful to the messages that, we, that we're listening to. We also sometimes forget that despite the war having been won for us, and we've talked... The message I'm presenting is one of finished, that is already. But we need to remember that there are still skirmishes with a defeated but very real enemy. And we also have a sin nature. So secondly, I think the second point of application is this. We need to be vigilant. We're in a firefight. We need to be vigilant. There is an already and a not yet. Jesus has waged war and won the war for us. That's the already. 
However, there's a not yet that is not yet completed. And these are the brush fires that must be overcome in the day to day. On that theme of overcome, we hear that Cain was overcome by jealousy. The disciples and then Eutychus were overcome by sleep. We're warned to not be overcome by wine. And we've known many that have been overcome by temptation to sin. So remember, stay vigilant. We are in a firefight. Thirdly, let's live through the strength of the true warrior. Live through the strength of the true warrior. We're not to be trying harder or trying to think we can muster up enough strength to live the victorious life. Psalm 20 says this, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we, st we rise and stand upright. We're so often prone to think that we can live out the Christian life in our own strength, but it just doesn't work. Here's another old movie uh, thing for you. Uh, again, this is, this is back from the 40s. I'm really an old soul in a 50-year-old body. Um, but Nancy and I really like, we like the old movies. And every, every year about this time, we start watching our holiday classics. One that you absolutely need to see is one called The Bishop's Wife. It stars Cary Grant, David Nevin, and Loretta Young. It's the story of a really burned out pastor trying to accomplish the work of the church in his own strength. He's then visited by Cary Grant, an angel named Dudley, who can easily write a sermon, rearrange his filing system, take his wife out shopping and ice skating, and minister to the community all at the same time. If only the bishop would rely on him. I think the theology is a little weird, a little wacky. However, the message is clear. Jesus is the true warrior, and he wants us to rely on him, not just for salvation, but for everything. We need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. You know, we are slowly but surely being transformed by availing ourselves to the Christian disciplines. Memory of Scripture, for instance, that are, that are in place for us. The sacraments, Scripture reading, prayer, fellowship, obedience to what we've already received. All these things are super important. So we've got to be transformed by the renewing of our minds and, and vow not to live uh, according to our own strength but through the strength of the true warrior. Well, I began with Navy and Marine Corps stuff, so to be fair, I need to conclude with a story from the Army Air Corps, uh, <clears throat> though it pains me a bit to do that. So here's one for you. I heard this, heard this recently from our Deputy Chief of Chaplains, a story I had not heard before, but uh, I think really rings true to what we're talking about. You know, when America decided to fight the war in Europe, uh, President Roosevelt had a plan to use two of his senior uh, army generals, Dwight Eisenhower and, jo and George Marshall, um, in significant ways. Eisenhower would go out and be the fighter uh, in Europe. Marshall would be the planner in the, in the Pentagon. Well, I don't know if the Pentagon was there, but in Washington. Um, Uh, yeah, but it, uh, uh, FDR wanted them to, at, at some point, he wanted them to trade places. 
Eisenhower was the Supreme Allied Commander in Europe, Marshal, Chief of Staff in D.C. Well, the President changed his mind, which meant that uh, Ike would stay in the field and Marshall would stay in D.C. Ike would then, of course, kind of the hero of D-Day, uh, the invasion of Normandy, uh, Battle of the Bulge, and then he would do something really significant by releasing the captives in the concentration camps in Germany. Marshall would get really no opportunity to lead the troops onto the field of battle. And after, vi after victory in Europe was secure, the Prime Minister of Great Britain, Winston Churchill, sent him a letter congratulating him for his, his great victory and for his work as the Chief of Staff of the Army. Uh, Churchill wrote this, it was not to you to lead the troops in battle. No, rather to you was given the, res the responsibility to create them, organize them, and inspire them to victory. Isn't it amazing that Jesus, the ultimate warrior, did all these things and more? He fought the battle we could never win. He defeated the foes that we could not defeat. He released the captives, and he organized us, trains us, and continues to inspire us to victory. And in him, and only in him, are we more than conquerors. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we have a sure word in Scripture that testifies to you as the true warrior have overcome every evil on our behalf. The plan of redemption is for us. Help us to know, Lord, that we truly are more than conquerors as we think on these things, that we would see ourselves as the benefactors of the, the great salvation that you have paid dearly for. May we live our lives in light of the shadow of the cross and the resurrection and the ascension. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.